0: Hello and welcome to the Mr. Brown podcast, where I reflect on my journey as an early career teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James Brown. Good morning. It's been a while since we last spoke. The last episode came out before the Christmas holidays. And right at the end of that episode, I mentioned the fact that sometimes during the holidays, my mental health seems to suffer. And it did, again, just a little bit over Christmas. So I thought in this episode, the first episode of 2023, I would do a bit of a deep dive into this issue and see if I can get my head around it, because I'm sure it might be the same for other teachers too. It wouldn't surprise me if teacher mental health does take a bit of a dip during the holidays. I think it would be useful, first of all, to provide a bit of background about my journey with mental health. So for me, teaching has drastically improved my mental health. Now that may sound rather bizarre. Indeed, I've had people say to me, but teaching is so stressful. It's a really stressful profession, isn't it? How can How can it possibly have improved your mental health? Well, in fact, that's the reason it's improved my mental health. I think teaching has improved my mental health because it is stressful. And I need to explain what I mean by that. Okay, so rewinding all the way back to 2017. It was the last year of my undergraduate degree at Lancaster University. And I suffered a bout of hypocalcemia during a circuit training session. It was very scary. Essentially, my extremities all kind of seized up and my face was paralysed. This is because my calcium levels had dropped to zero. So an ambulance was called. And the paramedics weren't too worried about the hypocalcemia. Apparently, it does happen, and people recover from it fairly easily. But they hooked me up to one of their machines, and they said they wanted to take me to hospital nonetheless, because my heart was doing some funny things. So I ended up spending a night in hospital, hooked up to a telemetry machine, wires everywhere. Not a very pleasant experience. In the morning, they said that they were happy for me to leave hospital, so the telemetry hadn't revealed any issues which were about to kill me, so I didn't have any serious heart defects, but they wanted to run some more tests, so they would treat me as an outpatient. And then I spent the next two months, I think, being terrified. I was worried that at any moment my heart could give out and I could drop dead. I say two months because. It took that long for them to run the other tests they wanted to run and for for me to get my final results back. Now, the final results were that my heart is just fine. Apparently, my heart is bigger than average, a little bit bigger than average. And a slightly bigger than average heart sometimes gives off some of the same signals as a defective heart. So thankfully, I've got the former, just a slightly bigger than average heart, which is kind of nice in a way, I guess. But during that two-month period, I developed a serious anxiety problem. I was having anxiety attacks most days, and what would happen would be if I noticed my heart rate going up at all, it would make me panic, which would of course make my heart rate go up further, and I'd get stuck in a vicious cycle, which would culminate in an anxiety attack. So I was suffering with lots of these anxiety attacks. And even after I found out that my heart was fine, the damage had been done to my mental health. The anxiety attacks didn't subside. So my anxiety attacks in particular manifested as extreme bouts of dizziness and nausea. And often it'd wipe me out for 24 hours after I'd had one. And they were so unpleasant that they became the source of my anxiety anxiety had become the source of my anxiety, or stress had become the source of my anxiety. So I was no longer worrying so much about my heart because I'd been given the all clear. My heart was fine. In fact, it's better than average. That's what the doctor said. But I'd become so terrified in the meantime of of experiencing an anxiety attack that whenever I noticed any stress, that would make me stress even more. And again, I'd be stuck in the same vicious cycle, which would culminate in an anxiety attack. So all that happened in the final couple of months of my undergraduate degree. But I wanted to do master's study. But I was also conscious of the fact that I had become incredibly stress averse. I just couldn't cope with it. So I decided to come home, live at home and go to a local university to continue my study of philosophy and it just so happened it was a very good university warwick university it had one of the best postgraduate philosophy courses in the country so that worked out well and the course lasted for a couple of years over which time i continued to struggle with my anxiety and my stress levels and this led to a couple of periods of deep depression as well especially over the winter months because i wanted to work hard and yet the second that hard work started to result in my stress levels increasing, I'd be in danger of suffering another anxiety attack. And I should say here that I had what's known as an anxiety disorder, a chronic anxiety disorder. That's different from just feeling anxious. So anxiety is a perfectly natural response to Lots of things that we encounter in day-to-day life, and it's nothing to worry about. My anxiety, though, had stopped being about things that I encountered in day-to-day life, and it had started being about itself. It had become its own object, and so it had become self-sustaining. I was anxious about being anxious. I was stressing about stress, so it had become self-sustaining and thus turned into an anxiety disorder. But I managed to finish that course. I had to get several extensions, but I did finish it. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do afterwards, but I knew that I didn't want to be stressed anymore. The anxiety was still plaguing me, nowhere near as bad as it had been, but it would still flare up every so often. And I just didn't like it. I was tired of it. I didn't want it to happen anymore. So I got a job at the University of Warwick Library, working just. 15 hours a week, putting books on shelves in a quiet library. It was the most stress-free work I have ever done. I would just put books on shelves. I would gossip with my colleagues, all of whom were lovely. I would listen to endless podcasts whilst doing my work. And it was great, next to no stress. And yet, I don't think I could have been more miserable. There were times during those two years of working at Warwick University Library where my depression was at its absolute worst. So I had minimised my stress and my anxiety, but in so doing, I'd maximised my depression. Looking back on it now, I think there are several reasons for this. I had chosen that job because I was still under the shadow of this anxiety issue. I wouldn't say it was a really free choice. I'd been coerced into it by my poor mental health. The job didn't make me feel very competent. I spent most of my time putting books on shelves. That's not very rewarding work. And I did feel like I belonged. I did feel like I was valued. I made some good friends, had some wonderful conversations. But it was only 15 hours a week. I wasn't there very often. So for the rest of the time, I didn't have much of a sense of belonging when I was away from the library. So yes, I'd minimised my stress and my anxiety, but in so doing, I'd left the door wide open for depression. But then I decided to become a teacher, which was kind of an absurd decision. I, I seemed to be going from one extreme to another. So, a job that was very low in stress and anxiety, but had allowed me to become quite depressed. And now I was going for a job which perhaps couldn't be higher in stress and anxiety. And I didn't know what it was going to do for my levels of depression, which is one of the reasons why I did my first teaching podcast. It was to document my mental health throughout my teaching journey. And there were times during that training year, especially in the first term, especially in the first week, oh my God, where I was so stressed and so anxious and did tip over into the red a few times and and had a couple of anxiety attacks. But I persevered nonetheless. I had become determined that my fear of anxiety was no longer going to dictate my life and I was going to face up to this. And I've since learnt about a strategy to deal with anxiety and to address anxiety. It's called exposure therapy. So you need to identify your triggers, figure out what it is that causes your anxiety, and gradually and incrementally expose yourself to it. Voluntarily to it has to be voluntary. This doesn't work if someone forces you To confront your triggers, you have to do it voluntarily and gradually over time. Expose yourself to those triggers and almost condition yourself so that they no longer cause you the anxiety that they once did. You come to learn that they don't pose the threat that you thought they did. And in my case, stress, anxiety itself had been my biggest trigger. My anxiety was self-sustaining. And yet here I was as a trainee teacher, I couldn't have been more stressed. So I was exposing myself to my trigger, stress. I don't think I did it gradually and incrementally. I think, in fact, I jumped into the deep end, but I didn't drown. I managed to stay afloat and I conditioned myself to stress over time. And this, I think, is why teaching has been so good for my mental health it has taught me that I can deal with being stressed. And I would say that I no longer have this anxiety problem. Certainly, I'm sometimes anxious about certain things, but I no longer get anxious about being stressed. Because especially in that training year, I spent so much time being stressed and I didn't drop dead. It was uncomfortable at times. And like I said, I had a few panic attacks, but over the course of that year, it got better and better and I could deal with it more and more. And so this, I think, is why teaching has been wonderful for my mental health. And I also feel that depression has never been further away, or at least hasn't been further away for a decade or so. So if we compare my experience at the library to my current experience as a teacher... So I said at the library... I didn't really feel in control, I didn't feel particularly competent, and because I spent such little time there, I didn't really have a sense of belonging either. Now, according to self-determination theory, which is the most extensive and detailed and comprehensive and confirmed psychological theory of motivation ever, According to that theory, if we are to be properly motivated and happy and healthy, we need to have three basic psychological needs satisfied. Those are the needs for autonomy, so that's being self-governed, competence, okay, you must feel like you're good at what you're doing. Competence is also sometimes called self-efficacy. You must feel as though you can have an effect on the world around you. And the third one is, is belonging or relatedness, feeling valued within a community. So none of those three needs were being met by my occupation at the library. Compare that now with my occupation as a teacher, and I would say that they are all being met. I am in control of how I teach my classes. I mean, what I need to teach them is dictated by the curriculum, but I'm in control of how I teach them. I do feel competent. And in fact, as a teacher, I feel like you get hits of competence on a regular basis. In fact, every lesson, because students start off not knowing something, you explain it, and then they can do it. And this is especially true for a maths teacher because students start a lesson not knowing how to answer a question, you explain it, and then they can answer it. That makes me as a teacher feel competent. And I also have a wonderful sense of belonging. I think my school is fantastic. My department in particular is full of wonderful people. And they've made me feel really welcome and valued. And I feel like I'm part of that community. So I feel happy and healthy and properly motivated, and anxiety and depression couldn't be further away. That is until the holidays come around. Let's think about it in terms of those three psychological needs again, autonomy, competence and belonging. As I said, during term, my need for autonomy is satisfied by the fact that I can teach my classes however I want to. Over the holidays, however, I have no classes. There is no school. I could do whatever I want. And in fact, I then often suffer with the paradox of choice. Too much freedom can be a bad thing. It's good to impose some constraints on yourself so that you only have a few things to choose between rather than endless things to choose between. And so often in the holidays, I don't end up choosing to do anything. I mean, I am studying for my master's at the same time. So I do do some master's work, but it's quite unstructured. So the second psychological need of competence. So during term, I feel competent every lesson because my students begin that lesson not knowing something and they finish the lesson knowing it. That makes me feel competent as a teacher. But again, no students, no classes, no school over the holidays. So I feel less competent. And third, belonging. I really feel like I belong at the school. But again, no school over the holidays. And I have a wonderful family. I certainly do feel I belong with them. And that's got me thinking. That's very interesting. I hadn't thought about this before. So when I plan these podcast episodes, I try to think about, how the discussion will proceed beforehand, but I didn't anticipate this one. So, I do have a sense of belonging during the holidays, because I do feel like I belong in my family. But perhaps then, a sense of belonging alone isn't enough to keep me happy and... or to keep me fully happy and fully motivated. Let me just clarify that over the holidays, I wasn't miserable, and nor was I having anxiety attacks... But my mental health just took a bit of a dip, a bit of a hit, okay, that, that I thought was worth addressing. But it was nowhere near as bad as it as it has been. So I think that perhaps during the holidays, I still do have a sense of belonging. It's a different sense of belonging. It's with my family and friends. Um, But maybe that alone isn't enough. So I also need a sense of autonomy and a sense of competence, as I spoke about a moment ago. And maybe it's it's those two that or a lack of those two that account for why my mental health takes a bit of a hit over the holidays. It also doesn't help that I often get ill physically over the holidays, and I looked into this, and it's quite a common phenomena. It's called leisure illness, or leisure sickness. The phrase was first coined by a psychologist Right, I'm going to try and say this name. A Dutch psychologist named Ad Vingerhoets, And there are competing explanations as to why people get ill or sick during the holidays. I'll run through just a couple now. The first is that during the holidays, perhaps we just spend time in different environments and are exposed to different pathogens, illnesses, etc., a change in lifestyle may also contribute so i sleep well eat pretty healthily stay well hydrated when i'm at school i do my best to anyway and that can go to pot a little bit over the holidays so a change in lifestyle may may also make me more vulnerable to getting poorly some people also find relaxing to be very stressful i might fall into this category I do sometimes get a little bit jittery when I don't have anything to do. It's why I do this podcast on a Saturday morning. And higher stress levels may affect your immune system. So that's another explanation. Another one is symptom perception. So perhaps we are ill throughout term time just as often, but we don't notice it. We don't see it. I don't really agree with that one. I think if I got as ill during term time as I was during Christmas most recently, I'd have definitely noticed it. Like I think I had flu or something. It wasn't good. Also, during term, I may spend a lot of time with adrenaline coursing through my veins. And then suddenly when school stops during the holidays and my adrenaline levels decline, that again could open me up to illness. Another one. The final possible explanation that I'll mention here is illness postponement. So it's been suggested that during periods of high workload, we may almost be able to delay getting ill and postpone it. I have no clue how this would work physiologically, but it's almost like we save getting ill until later on, until the workload has decreased and we can finally relax and rest, and your body thinks, okay, let's get through these illnesses that I've accumulated over the course of this term. Strikes me as rather bizarre, but it has been suggested suggested as a possible explanation for leisure sickness. So, I mention this because physical and mental health are inextricably interwoven. If you're feeling physically unwell, it's much more likely that you'll feel mentally unwell as well. Similarly, if your mental health is very poor, if you're suffering with anxiety and depression, and whatever else, you'd also open yourself up to physical sickness. So, what about moving forward? So, regarding physical health, first of all, and trying to avoid this leisure sickness, one thing I could try to do during the holidays is to not let my lifestyle change drastically. So I think, I mean, I tried to do this anyway, but it's tough. So I will try to go to bed at similar times or not too much later and get up at similar times or not too much later. I'll try to stick with my usual diet and to ensure that I stay hydrated, and if I can do some exercise as well, that'll be wonderful. So these are the sorts of things that I try to do during term, but sometimes just don't do during the holidays. So I could try to maintain that good lifestyle in the holidays. I'm sure that would help. I think also as I spend more time as a teacher, and I find teaching less and less stressful, and so experience less and less adrenaline during term, The come down in stress and adrenaline levels during the holidays hopefully won't be as dramatic. So, with time, again, that might help with my physical health over the holidays. As for unconsciously postponing sickness during term, I've no clue how I could preempt that one. Now, what about my mental health though? Now, I know that the two are intimately connected, but let's talk about those three psychological needs again. I think what I need is a project, something that I can do during the holidays, which allows me to continue feeling useful and also put some constraints on my time. So I'm not just completely free and so overwhelmed with possible decisions that I end up making no decisions at all. I should do something during the holidays. And I haven't given this a great deal of thought yet, but maybe I could volunteer with charities or do something generally philanthropic and altruistic. Because again, returning to teaching, I think that's one of the things that really helps my mental health as well, is that I feel like I'm having a positive impact in the world. I feel like I'm improving children's life chances which gives me a very strong sense of moral purpose. And again, that goes by the wayside during the holidays. So maybe I should try and do something else that, that I think's altruistic. It's something I'll look into. And this can be a bit of an ongoing experiment, really. I kept a careful eye on my mental health over Christmas, and I have decided that there is an issue there. And we've explored it in this episode. And during future holidays... Again, I'll keep an eye on it and I'll also try to come up with some solutions. So I'll keep an eye out for for charity projects or any other projects that might give me a similar sense of moral purpose and make me feel competent, make me feel useful over the holidays. If you know of any, then please get in touch and let me know. And more generally... How do you find the holidays? Do you find yourself getting physically ill or mentally ill over the holidays? What do you do over the holidays, generally speaking? Do you engage in any sorts of other projects? Do you worry about work? Do you do work? I'd be very interested to know. So this has been a bit of a deep dive today into one particular issue. As of next week or the week after, I'll go back to unpicking some of my more recent experiences in the classroom. In any case, I hope you got something from it. Perhaps it made you think a little bit deeper about your own physical and mental health. That'd be great. And please let me know what you thought. So this episode took around two hours to produce and I tried to produce two to three episodes a month. If you think that work is worth the price of a coffee, two, three pounds once a month, then please consider becoming a patron and helping me cover the costs of running this podcast. As always, there'll be a link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at MrBrownPod or email MrBrownPod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Mr. Brown Pod and helping me cover the cost of producing the podcast. Thank you, and talk again soon.